please be seated. The reading is Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 to 14, and can be found on page 1237 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Father, we ask that Jesus would be honoured amongst us now as we consider his plan for our lives. Amen. Well, it is uh, really great to be with you here today. I think last time I was here, actually, it was, I came for a wedding and everyone was dressed so smartly. But um, anyway, I see what you look like in real life now. This is, this is good. Um, and as Paul said, if you want to know more about Wycliffe, uh, there's uh, my colleague Kater's here. She'll be really glad to help you just in the breakout zone afterwards. In particular, uh, the easiest way to find out more is to like or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Um, but actually, perhaps the best way is we're giving out free copies of just uh, this booklet, which says more. And indeed, there's a card you can fill in, and we'll, we'll mail them to you just very occasionally. Um, But let's focus instead on the Bible. I actually want to focus on just one verse from that Bible reading, uh, verse 9. Verse 9 is at the heart of the chapter, and it is, I think, the key which helps make sense of life today. 
this passage is a glimpse into heaven. And in heaven, what is being said about Jesus is, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You are worthy. Jesus is worthy. It says he's worthy to to take the scroll and to open its seals. What's that about? Why does that matter? Well, the chapter starts with God himself holding a scroll in his hand. And it turns out, if you read on in Revelation, that this scroll is God's master plan for world history. God has plans. He made this world for a purpose and didn't intend that it should last forever. No, he he gave the world a beginning, and he has planned for it an end. And because the world is in something of a mess, his master plan is to sort that out once and for all. It is a plan to crush all that is evil, all that spoils, and to remake this world once again. But there's a problem. You see, back in verse 1, it says the scroll was sealed with seven seals. That is, it was all locked up. God's great master plan for history couldn't be actioned. It couldn't be opened. It's like if you're uh, at a seminar, maybe at work or or at college, and someone turns up to do a PowerPoint presentation, and they're setting it up for you, but their laptop isn't working. And it turns out the battery is flat, and they don't have the power cable. Have you ever seen this happen? And the PowerPoint is there, they assure you. It's all there. All those beautiful bullet points are on the computer, but... The computer is dead, and those bullet points will never be seen. It is all locked up. Now, with uh, PowerPoint slides, that's something of a relief, obviously. Uh, One less presentation to sit through. But when we're talking about God's plans for history, that is a disaster. So John, who is having this vision, begins to weep. Verse uh, verse 4, sorry, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It's a disaster because unless that scroll is opened, God's plans will not take place. And unless God's sovereign plans are put into action, all history is pointless, meaningless, it's devoid of purpose. Without God achieving what he wants, there will be no happy ending for any of us. Only terror awaits. No wonder John weeps. But then, wait a moment, where my Bible reading started, verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll. Verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Jesus is the only one who can open up the scroll. That is to say, he is the only one who can reveal the destiny that God has planned for the world. But why? Why is the eternal future of the world and the future of each of our lives effectively in his hands? Well, verse 9 tells us why. It is because, well, two reasons actually. Firstly, Jesus' death brings urgently needed salvation. Verse 9, they say about Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. The death of Jesus on a cross is being talked about in heaven. More than that, it's being celebrated in heaven because, well, what's the reason given here? Verse 9, you're worthy to 
take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood, that is, by dying on a cross, you purchased for God persons. The death of Jesus purchased people. That is, it ransomed them out of captivity. It says, he purchased people for God. It's a reminder that, by nature, human beings are not God's people. No matter how polite we are, no matter how good we try to be, by nature we are trapped by the power of sin. And without Jesus, we will be held captive by sin, whether we like it or not, and we cannot escape. And so there's no way that God could go ahead with his plans for world history, because if he did, well, he would have to come in judgment on us, and none of us would survive. But God has a heart of love. That's not what he wants to do. God made the world. He loves the world. He's not some sort of vengeful tyrant. He doesn't want to destroy all people. What he wants to do is make all things new. So whilst people are held captive to sin, God's plans must be put on hold. The scroll must stay sealed shut. But now, wonderfully, amazingly, the death of Jesus has ransomed people for God. Jesus' death brings salvation for all who put their trust in him. We are purchased for God so that no longer in captivity, we have a new owner, a new status as the people belonging to God. That's why Jesus can set history going once again. Because God plans to surround himself with people for all eternity. But without Jesus, he would have no people. We'd all rejected him. But in Jesus, through Jesus, we can be saved. And so now God's plans for the end of the world can come into play. The scroll can now be opened. So we can now be sure that God will bring history to its final conclusion, to the point where evil is punished and where his people get to reign in a new world in his presence. Right now, this world is a messy place. We'll all go through hard times sooner or later. But now, because of what Jesus has done, there is meaning. Because of Jesus, there is purpose. Because of Jesus, there is value and significance to our lives. Life may not be easy, but we can now know that that scroll has been opened, so we will certainly reach that destination, that what God has planned for this world will certainly come to pass. Indeed, that's what keeps us from living selfish, self-centered, inward-looking lives and gives us a whole new perspective on life in this world. I mean, if, if you know how the world is going to end, doesn't that make you look at Manchester differently? Doesn't that shine a whole new light on the needs of this region, of the UK, of the world? Jesus purchased us for God. And that means not just that our individual futures are secure, that, that we are safe. It means that all of God's plans for the entire world are now moving forward to their completion. And that the day when this world is no more, that day will be here soon. With all its eternal consequences. Now, we haven't got to the best part of verse 9 yet. Let me just show you, show you that. At the end of verse 9, it says that, of Jesus, it says that with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And the emphasis here is on the word every. This verse isn't so much about who Jesus purchased, so much as where he purchased them from. And it tells us that Jesus' death brings salvation, reaching the whole world. That's the second reason why he has this pivotal role in God's eternal plans, because of the global reach of what Jesus accomplished. Jesus purchased for God from every tribe in the world, from every language group in the world, from every people group of the world, from every nation of the world. I think too too often we may forget this verse. Uh, When at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, uh, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, we tend to think that there's, well, how many nations are there? There's 190-something countries in the world, something like that. But that's missing the point. The word translated as nations isn't talking about the modern country, the nation-state that we have today. Really, it means something more like people group. And there's a lot more people groups in the world than there are countries, thousands more. And that becomes here the way it's underlined for us in Revelation. Verse 9 says that Jesus purchased from God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Uh, Look at that verse. I mean, what do you see there? I look and see over 7,000 languages of which fewer than 10% have a Bible. I look and see over a billion people who do not have a Bible available in their language. And I still find that shocking. It still shocks me that nearly 200 million people don't even have a single verse in their language, not even John 3.16. And I look at a verse like this and I see that God's plans for this world are bigger than ours and we still have some catching up to do. I mean, when you look at that verse, what do you see there? I hope you get the point that it's making that Jesus was only permitted to open the scroll, mapping out God's plan for the world. He was only considered worthy to do it because he redeemed people out of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Jesus ransomed people from all corners of the world, from communities right across the globe. That was why God's master plan for the history of the world could now be unlocked, because of the global extent of salvation. And when you put that together, you see that God's eternal plan has always been for individuals from every tribe and language and people and nation to be brought into his presence. And that that is the shape and direction of all world history. God's people are to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual family. People of all different races, all cultures, all languages, from every caste, every social class, all brought together by Jesus for God. And friends, I, I must point out to you that if this is God's plan for world history, then it should be our plan for our lives also. It's the fool who, who tries to make their own plans for their life and tries to, to make those things happen regardless of what God might be doing. You know, the, the wise person fits their life within God's plans. We, we try to understand what is God's agenda and then we make his agenda our agenda. We would be so much happier if we just did this. We would save ourselves so much grief. And when, when we come to think, what is God's agenda, we must not forget that his concern is global. 
Jesus sent us to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, because he had first redeemed from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. World mission is not just something for a few keen Christians. Yeah, there's always a sort of people who like that sort of thing, aren't they? You'll have met them. God himself has a heart for world mission, and all godly people will share that concern. Jesus himself gave his life to get people of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation back to God for eternity. Can I ask, what are you giving your life for? Don't waste your life pursuing the things of this world. If Christ gave his life for you, then give your life, expend your life, pour out your life, use up your life for him, pursuing the things that matter to him. How many years do you have left in this short life of yours, this world? What are you going to use them for? How much wealth are you going to leave behind you when you die? What could you have used it for? The gospel has not yet reached enough people. It has not yet even reached enough people groups. And it will not do so without the Bible being made available either. This work is ongoing, and we need to take care so that we keep it fixed in our minds as the greatest challenge facing this generation. I wonder if I can ask as a visitor to Manchester, who are the the tribes and peoples round here who are currently unreached. Because I know in the UK, Bible-believing Christians often have a habit of reaching their friendship networks, but no more than that. And for many of us, we need to work hard at breaking out of the communities we know to reaching the mass of people of all walks of life and the long-standing immigrant communities with different religions. Or take Europe. Have you ever stopped to consider the spiritual needs of, of Europe? How many Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians are there in, in Europe, evangelical Christians? How many do you think? Well, Germany, 2.1% of the population. Belgium, 1.2%. Italy, 1.1%. France, 1.0%. Czech Republic is just 0.7%. A figure so low it is comparable to an Islamic country like Pakistan, 0.6%. Greece, 0.4%. Poland, 0.3%. And any of you from those countries will know that, but the rest of us need to pay more attention to what the world is like. The biggest problem facing the EU is not Brexit, but that there are too few workers for the harvest field. There are people in communities across this country and this continent who Jesus died for, but who are waiting to hear about it. And that's before starting on the tremendous needs for the gospel all around the world. Globally, it is estimated that 85% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. Asia has a population of 3.6 billion people. Only 13% even know a Christian. 3.1 billion people do not. And as I mentioned, one in five of the world's population 
don't even have the Bible available in their language. How could you lead someone to Christ without a Bible they could understand? How can you establish churches that plant churches if they don't have full access to God's Word? Jesus is building a global church which encompasses believers of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. The gospel is being proclaimed. Bibles are being translated. There are wonderful things happening. But what part are we going to play in this great task? What will each of our lives achieve? Well, instinctively, we we know it's far too hard You think, well, what can we do against such overwhelming numbers? But actually, what I want to suggest to you is it's really rather simple, and that if if each of you were to prioritize this collectively, you could have tremendous impact. You see, anyone who has the gospel is qualified to share the gospel. The only requirement needed to reach different communities in Manchester or around the world All that is needed is for a few Christians to go and live amongst those people and share this good news. And for those who stay behind, to pray for them and to provide the funding for them to keep on going. That's how the early Christians saw their world changed. Let me just read the book of Acts. And that's how it is for us today. It is down to people like us who understand that Jesus' salvation is not only for people like us, but that it reaches globally, must be taken globally to every tribe, language, people, and nation. And the the work of Wycliffe Bible Translators is a fundamental part of this, because when we translate the Bible into people's languages, we're unblocking a bottleneck which was slowing down evangelism and discipleship in those communities. You saw some of that on the video. With the Bible available, people can find out about Jesus, churches can grow. With the Bible available, other mission organizations even can do their work more effectively. That's what they say to me, James, we can't do our work until you've done yours. But no mission organization can do anything without people. It takes people to go and do it, to invest their lives in it. It takes people to stay and give and invest their money in it. And it takes people to pray prayer is what makes mission happen. It does need people to go. I wonder if everyone here is connected to a a mission partner and to a mission organization. If we share God's concern for world mission, it will mean praying for the work. And the simplest way to do that is to pray for one of the church's mission partners uh, and to use a prayer diary from a good mission organization. If you fill in the card, we'll send you ours, which we think is very good, it's very short points. You can leave it by the loo and you can pray and you're done. But other good mission organizations are available. But anyway, but when we pray, uh, we are taking part. Prayer is real, effective partnership. It will also mean financial support for the work. The task of world mission and Bible translation is expensive. And the individuals who traveled uh, overseas depend entirely usually on what God has given them through their home countries. Local communities trying to reach their communities or translate the Bible often need financial support additionally from the West. Now, if we prefer to keep our lives uh, revolving around ourselves, then yeah, we will always want to reduce our giving to a minimum. But if we're seeking to align our lives with God's master plan, 
then we want to ensure that at least some decent proportion of our money is being used to reach every tribe, language, people, and nation. So we pray for the work, and we pay for the work. And as a church, we seek to send workers. Friends, it is a good time to start identifying who else can go. I've spoken to Christians now in many different countries of the world and asked them what help, if anything, they need from the UK. And they keep on saying, please send more workers to help us. And if such people don't come from a church like this, where else are they going to come from? You have former members of this church and of this uh, congregation, I think, currently serving in world mission uh, in different places as mission workers. I take it, therefore, that the next generation of mission partners from Holy Trinity are here in the congregation this morning. It is time to start identifying which of you is next and how the rest who stay can support them to go. Pray that God would make Holy Trinity Platt a centre from which mission workers are sent out into different parts of the UK, of Europe, and of the world. If you're wondering what that might look like for you, please talk to me or my colleague Kate after the service. We can happily advise you not just for Wycliffe Bible Translators, but other organisations we work in partnership as well. The need exists for recent graduates, especially also for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s to come and join us bringing in professional work skills. So at Wycliffe, we don't just need uh, linguists, though we do. We're looking for godly people with a whole range of skills who are willing to use those skills in the urgent task that is fundamental to the growth of churches worldwide. Is that scary? Does the thought of stepping out to do something new scare you? Would, the, would you be frightened to leave friends and family to go where Christians are most needed? Does your bank balance feel threatened by the idea of seriously funding world mission? Is it just too big a risk? Now, what have we just been talking about? The scroll has been opened by Jesus, so we can be sure that all history is on track. We are the ones who know how the world is going to end. All God's master plan for the world is now moving forwards to its final completion. The scary thing would be to let this pass us by. If we take risks for Jesus, we have not risked anything at all. Jesus himself said that it was those who won't risk anything for him and for the gospel, they are the ones who will lose everything. As Christians, our future is secure. The scroll has been opened. God's master plan is in progress. We are safe. We are secure for all eternity. Nothing can ultimately hurt us or harm us. So therefore, we are free. We are free to make God's agenda our agenda, to get on with the task of making Jesus known. Not looking in at ourselves and our little lives anymore, but looking out at a world in which there are people whom God is calling to himself from every tribe, language, people, and nation who are waiting, waiting for someone to share the good news with them that they might hear and believe. Shall we pray that God would use us in accomplishing this great task? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus and for his great salvation. 
please open our hearts and minds more and more to realize the wonderful work that Jesus has done and direct our lives so that we are more aligned with your plans for this world. Father, please use us to call those Jesus has purchased for you from every tribe, language, people and nation here in Manchester, in this nation and around the world. Especially, Lord, we ask that you would raise up some to be the next generation of mission workers who will not cling to their lives but gladly give up their current careers for the sake of the billions who are lost, who are waiting to hear the good news. And alongside them, Lord, would you raise up many others today who will commit to seriously funding this work and to engaging in prayer for it. In Jesus' great and glorious name, we ask these things. Amen.